Welcome to the Food Issues Podcast. I'm your host, Julie Revelant, and I'm a journalist, healthcare copywriter, and a mom of two. In every episode, we talk about the challenges around feeding kids and give you practical and realistic solutions that will inspire and empower you to raise healthy eaters. Hi, friends. Welcome to another week of the podcast. So throughout the past year, I've devoted several episodes to picky eating, which you can go back and listen to. But with every episode, it's my goal to bring you nutrition experts who can cut through the noise and bring you evidence-based information. The truth is there's a lot of information and advice available, but some of it just isn't true. And oftentimes parents are left feeling frustrated and think getting their kids to eat better is a lost cause. It's never too late to give your child new experiences with food and help them develop the skills that they need developmentally or mentally or physically or kind of emotionally to begin to eat more foods. That's Jennifer Anderson, a registered dietitian and founder of Kids Eat in Color, a public health company that helps parents reduce mealtime stress and help their kids eat better. We talked about why there's so much conflicting information about feeding kids. And Jennifer debunks many of the common myths like kids will eat when they're hungry and just keep serving the same foods and they'll eventually try it. This is by far one of my favorite episodes and I know you're going to walk away feeling reassured that you're doing a great job as a parent and that there is hope no matter how picky your kid is. You are going to love this interview with Jennifer Anderson. Well, Jennifer, welcome to Food Issues. Thank you so much for having me, Julie. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. So let's jump right in. Let's talk about your story and your career path and what your work looks like today. Yeah. So, you know, I started out as a registered dietitian and I had all this knowledge and then I had my son and he was about nine months old when the doctor looked at me and said, you know, he's not gaining weight. And I thought, how is this possible. I'm doing everything that I think is right. And at that point, I realized that feeding kids is really tricky. I had a day job. I was consulting to the USDA and I was, you know, doing all sorts of things. And around the time he was three, I went to preschool. I thought, you know what? I can't be the only parent really struggling feeding my child. He has a low appetite. He's not eating enough. My second child by then had turned out to be rather selective. And I thought, you know what? I can't be the only one. I started an Instagram page with the idea of just kind of sharing my kid's lunch and what I was doing to encourage him to eat without pressuring him. And that's where Kids Eating Color came from. And now that I, now I breathe, eat, live Kids Eating Color. So let's talk about picky eating because it is just such a big topic and uh, parents have a lot of guilt around feeding their kids. And so what exactly is picky eating and how common is it? Sure. So picky eating, uh, there is no agreed upon definition of picky eating in the research literature. And I like to start out with that because I can define it one way and another professional will define it in in other ways. We do know that there are really some problematic feeding things where kids are not eating a balanced diet. They're not eating all the foods from food groups, or maybe they're not eating the food that you're making. Any of these things can be picky eating. Plus, you could have what I call kind of a typical picky eater. 
And it could be really, really stressing you out as a parent. And that is also picky eating. So however, however parents want to define it, I almost defer to parents. Are you experiencing picky eating in your child or not? And that doesn't mean there's something wrong with your child. That just means that you're dealing with stress around feeding your child. Yeah. And I think that I think that the correct term or the scientific term, right, is food neophobia. And and like you said, it's it really can kind of run the gamut of how it presents itself. Um, but, you know, what are kind of some misconceptions about picky eating in regards to severity? Right. Because I think parents will say. My kid doesn't like broccoli and therefore they're a picky eater, but it's kind of really normal around the toddler stage, right? Yeah, so we know approximately 40 to 60% of parents um, say, I have a picky eater. And that means not all parents say that. You know, I have parents who come to me and are like, yeah, my kids will eat everything. And they kind of got these kids who just eat everything. And that's awesome. (laughs) That's wonderful. A lot of parents have the experience of their child expressing food preferences at an early age. Now, food neophobia often begins to exhibit around the ages of, you know, one, two, but I often see it showing up in three, four, five, even six-year-olds and older kids. Things happen. Your child may become scared of new food. You know, speaking of neophobia, the, the word is new and fear. And so when we talk about food neophobia, we're talking about the fear of new foods. When we're thinking about kind of picky eating broadly, if we want to say, okay, what are all the reasons that my child may be experiencing this picky eating? We do have the food neophobia. We also have sensory processing. We have genetic factors, which specifically play into food neophobia. We have neurodivergence. We have all sorts of, we have adverse experiences, medical experiences, hospital stays, um, a bad stomach bug can often trigger these sorts of fears or uncomfortableness or all sorts of things that make it so a child can't eat foods. Right. And what about peer pressure? Because I my kids are 11 and almost nine and the older one used to eat whatever I served her. And once she went into school, that really changed a lot. And I, I kind of think that mm-hmm you know, they're, they're embarrassed by what you, what you pack them, or there's peer pressure to eat a lot of processed foods. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's absolutely, absolutely, absolutely the case. Um, My son came home and he said, um, you know, I'll change her name, but Jessica always has gummies in her lunch every single day. (laughs) And I said, would you like some gummies in your lunch? I mean, it's not something that I put in there specifically for teeth health, but I thought, yeah, would you like some? And he was like, yes, I would. And so, you know, we put gummies on his lunch for a week and then he stopped asking. Uh, But every once in a while, he'll bring it up. And I'm like, well, would you like this? But it is interesting how the more they are exposed to other people, the more they learn about other foods and what people eat. And this can go both ways. I mean, there are kids who will eat more variety, more balance, all those things when they're around a child who's eating those things, or you can have kids who are like, oh, they're eating chips and, you know, potatoes and who, 
I, I don't even know what they're eating, you know? Yeah. And, and I want that too. And that's not something that my mom makes me usually. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk to her about that. Yeah. <laughs> I love how you packed it for a week and then kind of the novelty wore off because there, it took the power away, right? He, he probably was like, Oh, I want that. I can't have that. Why don't I have that? Oh, it's not really a big deal. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Like if you want gummies in your life, truly, if the difference between you being a happy child and an unhappy child for your whole childhood is me putting gummies in your lunch every day, no big deal. Have your gummies. But the reality is you don't really care about the gummies that much. I can put some in now and then and you're happy and I'm happy and we can all be happy. Yeah, definitely. That's great. And so I often go into these Facebook groups for parents of picky eaters and it's like everyone's giving everyone advice, right? But no one's really an expert per se. And and I think right. that it's really important for us to to focus on the science and look at experts who understand child development and how to feed kids. And so why do you think there is so much conflicting information for parents about feeding kids and what can we do about it? Sure. So I think there's, I think there's a lot of factors and I've been thinking about this a lot. I think, you know, we're getting information from the food industry, feeding children. We're getting information from people who want to sell us things. Um, And increasingly that is becoming true of, of things like, um, people who are wanting to push an agenda with baby led weaning or um, you name it, people are going to push their thing, right? Mm -hmm. So they'll say things like, you can prevent X, Y, Z from happening to your child if you do this. We see that in in the feeding space, we're seeing that with baby led weaning. We're seeing that with kind of extreme focus on healthy eating or extreme focus on um, kid friendliness, all sorts of things. So we have these extreme messages that are meant to create a sense of fear and then get us to buy something. So you see that a lot. And then there's the fact that the food environment has changed for many families. So people will talk about their their relatives who grew up and maybe their parents were you know, in a war, maybe they were part of the depression, you know, it, who knows how far back it has gone, but they were eat everything on your plate or there is nothing left. And that is a wonderful survival strategy. And that's great. And a lot of people are having trouble if their family has moved into a different situation where they do have enough food. They're having a really hard time They're They've been kind of pressured to eat They've been pressured to clean their plate. They've been pressured to do all these things. And now they're getting to their child and they want to do the same things. And so we see this disconnect in the generations. And so it's kind of disrupted how parenting information has been transmitted over time. Usually we get it from our parents and then we do whatever our parents did. But whether that's diet culture, whether that's clean your plate, whether that's make your child do whatever you say at the dinner table, whatever it is, a lot of those strategies aren't working for parents in our generation. And so people are struggling. They're like, who do I talk to? Who do I, who do I go to? And, and we're getting all these mixed messages because there's so many different factors that we're kind of dealing with right now. 
Yeah, I saw how you had a post about um, why you're thin and it, it was mostly about how there's junk food marketing and underserved communities. And I think that that is a really big problem, right? I mean, there's junk food marketing. Well, there's food marketing everywhere you go, um, but even in schools and on YouTube and it's insidious and those provide mixed messages too to parents. Yeah, absolutely. And we know that parents are often, um, they are often tired. We're burned out. We're tired. You know, some of us, you know, we're just come out through a pandemic where we were overextended and all these things. And then we are supposed to feed our kids. And of course, like, quote, healthy food, it requires all this food prep. And you're like, I can't, I actually can't manage all those things. And your child comes along and they say, can you, I want this thing. Like I want those gummies or, or I want those carrots or I want, uh, you know, this fast food place that we drive by. And you know what? At the end of the day, when you've had a rough week and, uh, or any day or the day that you're tired or the day that your partner, um, is deployed or any number of things. And we, we uh, feature these on our, our weekly newsletter. We call them my best moments where people are just kind of talking about why they make these decisions uh, in the best interest of their family. But there's these moments where you're just going to do whatever your child has asked for, because it can give you a moment of bringing joy to your child. And it can also give you a moment of peace <laughs> And, and so it's kind of like whatever your child is being exposed to and asking for, that's what you're going to do. So if they're being exposed to a lot of food marketing, um, you know, whatever that food is, they may ask for those things more likely than not. And food marketers know this, and that's why there's so much money put into food advertising to children. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to take a break. And when we get back, we're going to start debunking all of the myths around picky eating. If you want mealtimes to be easier and less stressful, getting your kids in the kitchen is one of the best things you can do. I know that it's really encouraged my kids to eat their vegetables and try new foods, and it's given them a ton of confidence in the kitchen. But if you don't know how to cook or you don't like to cook, the Kids Cook Real Food eCourse is for you. This course was created by a mom of four and former elementary school teacher, and it's designed to build connection, confidence, and creativity in the kitchen. With Kids Cook Real Food, you'll get more than 30 basic cooking skills, 45 videos, including a ton of bonuses, principal supply and grocery shopping lists, and kid-friendly recipes like Tex-Mex white bean dip and homemade pizza. The course is designed for all kids ages two to teen and has three different skill levels. Your kids will learn how to crack eggs, cook rice, make a salad, and safely use knives, the oven, and appliances. If your kids have food allergies or dietary restrictions, no problem because the course has a ton of substitutions. My kids and I have taken the course and it was so easy to follow along that they made an entire recipe on their own. More than 18,000 families have taken the course and the Wall Street Journal named it the number one cooking class for kids. You can sign up by going to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues. And because you're a listener, you'll get a free lesson. Again, go to kidscookrealfood.com slash food issues and sign up. 
We all know that kids love their snacks, but finding healthy snacks with real food ingredients that are also affordable isn't always easy. That's why I love Thrive Market. Thrive Market is an online membership-based market that makes healthy living easy and affordable. Everything is organic and non-GMO, and members save an average of $32 on every order. My kids really love the skinny dip dark chocolate almonds and Larabars, especially coconut cream pie. So delicious. Thrive Market also has essential groceries, safe supplements, non-toxic home products, and clean beauty products, plus ethical meat, sustainable seafood, clean wine, and more. If you join today, you can get 25% off your first order and a free gift. All you have to do is go to thrivemarket.com slash food issues where you can sign up and see my favorite items. And for every paid membership, they give a free membership to a family in need. So sign up today at thrivemarket.com slash food issues. All right, Jennifer. So let's talk about the the numerous myths about picky eating. So the first one is all kids are picky eaters. Yeah, that's just not, it's just not true (laughs) because I feel like we all know a child and maybe you have a little bit of resentment toward the parents of that child. They literally eat everything and their parents are like, I don't know, they just eat everything. (laughs) And then, and then they maybe like go and they're like, it's because I did X, Y, Z when they were babies. And now they don't, you know, now they, um, now they will eat anything. And it's just not true. Not all kids are picky. Um, this, it's just, yeah, it's just not a fact. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And another one is, uh, that we often see is my child's pediatrician says that everything is fine. So I'm not going to worry. I see this one a lot on right. online. Yeah. Yeah. This one is so hard because on the one hand, we, some of us do worry too much. And on the other hand, things can be really wrong. And so this idea that, um, you know, you bring your child in and you say to your pediatrician or your medical provider and you say, you know what, they're picky. And your pediatrician just says, oh, it's fine. They'll grow out of it. This is actually not true. Um, They could have a real feeding problem. They could be a picky eater. Now, if they're kind of like a mild picky eater, yeah, maybe it's fine. Maybe they'll you know, no big deal. Um, but maybe it's not fine. Maybe they're not even eating all the food groups or maybe they're at nutritional risk because they're so picky and your pediatrician is saying, oh, let's just grow out of it. Well, you know, some kids will grow out of it, but other kids will not grow out of it. And then you kind of miss this window of, um, kind of addressing it with your child when it's a little bit easier. Yeah. I think something important to keep in mind is that studies show that pediatricians only receive about 24 hours of nutrition education. And you often see that in the visit, right? They, they ask the prescribed questions for the insurance company and, you know, they're checking off boxes, but they're not really able to go deeper and figure out what's going on and is your kid really eating healthy? And so because of that, what do you suggest parents do? Do they go see a registered dietitian nutritionist? Who, who, could, who should they turn to? Sure. So I think it is always useful to go to your pediatrician because 
especially if your insurance requires referrals, they may be able to refer you. And there are um, there there is now a new pediatric feeding disorder insurance code. So if you can go to your pediatrician and say, look, this is a real problem. I've heard of parents who actually take pictures of what their child eats for, you know, maybe a week or so, and then they bring that into the pediatrician and say, look, when I say my child is picky, this is what they're eating. And sometimes that triggers um, the pediatrician to say, oh, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is really, it's really imbalanced. Or going in and saying, my child is only eating five foods. And um, in, in that sense, they may be able to refer more easily to a registered dietitian, to a speech language pathologist, or to an occupational therapist for further evaluation. Or they may be able to just on the spot say, okay, this is clearly a problem. I'm going to make a diagnosis here and I'm going to refer based on that. Great. And so another statistic that I often see, and I, I could be completely wrong, but I feel like it's maybe up to 20 tries. Could, is that right? Of, of introducing the same food over and over? Yeah. So there have been a whole bunch of studies on this and I've seen, you know, it's eight tastes, it's 21 exposures. It's, you know, you name it. Yeah. Let me tell you, it varies so much by child. You know, if you have a, um, you know, if you have, a, have an adventurous eater, they may eat stuff on the first try or maybe eat it after two or three exposures. Um, I prefer to think of it in this way. Everything counts as an exposure from your child seeing a food to your child smelling, tasting, touching a food, and then maybe even swallowing it. All exposures. How many times does your child need to be exposed to a food before they're willing to actually try it and eat it, eat it and engage with that food? It just is going to vary, but it's a long game and you never need to give up. It's when we give up and we say, oh, I did my 21 exposures and now I'm done. No, 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 no. You did your 21 exposures and I will give you 18 high fives for that or, or 25, like whatever. But don't give up because you never know. I, I always think about the fact that I disliked zucchini until I went to college. And then I was like, oh, I actually like this. So you just never know when all those things are going to add up and your child is going to turn this corner. My son would not eat a tomato to save his life um, for most of his toddler years. He would touch it. He would smell it. He would never eat it. One day, we have people over. We're sitting around the table. He picks up a cherry tomato, uh, you know, cut in half, of course, and eats it and proceeds to eat a whole bowl of cherry tomatoes. <laughs> wow, that's great. And from that point on, it's kind of an off and on. And I think it probably depends on how delicious the cherry tomatoes are. But, you know, just the other day, he ate a whole basket of them. And the joke is now that, you know, we have to be careful to buy him his own basket of tomatoes because he'll eat them all. But this it didn't, it, it took two years of near constant exposure to this food before he would eat it. Yeah. Yeah. My daughter, um, when she was younger, she wouldn't eat blueberries and it actually took us, we didn't do it intentionally, but we were blueberry picking in Delaware and then she loved it. So I, 
And now that's really one of the few fruits that she'll eat. And I think it's just a matter of maybe trying a different recipe or trying a different presentation or changing the experience around. Another myth is that picky eating is a phase. Hmm. Yeah, I, that's like, it's, it's almost, I have, I have people come to me and they say, well, you know, this is just a phase. And I'm thinking, well, kind of, but not really, because again, not all kids are picky eaters. And, um, you know, it's not the same as it's a phase, like learning to crawl is kind of a developmental phase that most kids go through. And, um, you know, picky eating isn't like that. It's not like on the chart, like, did your child go through the picky eating phase? It's not the same. Um, do a lot of kids experience it? Yeah, a lot of kids do experience some form of picky eating, but um, not all kids. And again, it doesn't end for all kids. So if you kind of go into this phase and you're thinking, wow, things are getting pretty tricky here. Um, and we always talk about this in our Better Bites program when parents are thinking about it, like things are getting tricky. I'm feeling more stressed out than most people. Oh, my child is decreasing the number of foods they'll eat. And this just keeps going. And this list is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. You know, your child may have a real feeding problem, in which case that's not going to just magic. That phase isn't magically going to end. It's actually going to take some effort on your part to help your child kind of regain some of those foods that they've lost. And is there research to show that if kids are picky eaters, they'll continue that way into young adulthood? Sure. So, you know, there's there is some. Um, it is kind of an emerging area of research. And I th there is one study and I was going to mention it here and I'm not going to go into the details because I just couldn't find it. For anything this morning. Um, but there is some research that suggests for those children who have feeding difficulties, they may not ever outgrow it. Um, and I think maybe we, many of us, have met those extremely picky adults who are, they're still full, they're still afraid of foods. I know when I was growing up, there was a mom who lived next door who ate no fruits or vegetables. At her family just knew she was a picky eater. She could not eat those foods. And, um, you know, clearly she hadn't gotten help at any point to kind of help her overcome that situation. Um, but that started in her early adult years. So I think we all know those adults who do struggle with eating. And it really did start when they, when they were kids and they just, they never got the tools they needed to overcome that. Right. And so the, the positive message here is that we can, with the right help, help our kids get out of those habits. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I, I generally <laughs> mention that it's not like, oh my gosh, your child is picky. It's never going to end. Yeah. You know, for some kids, it does end and it does get better. And, and I always like to remind parents um, because often they'll come to me with you know, maybe a seven-year-old or a nine-year-old or a 10-year-old or 11-year-old or even a teen. And they say, is it too late? It's never too late. It's never too late to give your child new experiences with food and help them develop the skills that they need developmentally or mentally or physically or kind of emotionally to begin to eat more foods. It's going to be harder for some kids than others, but it doesn't mean it's too late. Yeah, I think the, the 
The next myth is something that I think that it provides a lot of frustration for parents. Either a provider told them or they read it somewhere and that's kids will eat when they're hungry. Mm. Yeah, I really don't like this one. Um, One, it's kind of true because when kids are hungry, they will often eat. But I'm a, a real skeptic and almost like... Not just a skeptic. I'm kind of like anti what I like to call starve it out, um, where basically the pediatrician says, just give them the food that you want them to eat. And when they're hungry, they'll eat it. This has landed kids in the hospital. Wow. Because kids don't just eat it when they're hungry. If you have an extreme picky eater, they will not eat. They will not eat that food. And next thing you know, they're dehydrated and you have to take them into the hospital and they have to, you know, be kind of uh, fixed up there for a little bit before they can go home. This can be really dangerous advice. Um, Yes, make sure that your child is hungry for meals. That's a great idea. You know, not overly hungry, but like make sure they're hungry for meals. But also you owe it to your child to always provide a food that they are usually comfortable with. I realize we're feeding kids here. So <laughs> the other day, oh, just this morning, actually, my son says to me, I don't like bananas. I'm like, you've eaten two bananas. Uh, you just ate two bananas like two <laughs> days ago. Don't tell me you don't like bananas. But, um, you know, I've been a parent long enough to know this is just part of the course. Uh, he's like, oh, and I was like, okay, well, that's good to know. It doesn't mean that I got up and I gave him a different piece of fruit. I was just like, okay, you just don't, it's fine. We'll just move on from this meal and try again another time. But have your kids be hungry, but also realize that bringing foods to meals that you know your child is usually comfortable with enables them to feel safe enough to eat. And that is really important if you actually want to overcome picky eating. Great. So the next one is that there's just such shame and guilt put on parents today, especially, and, and, you know, I'm not criticizing your Instagram because it's amazing and has a a lot of helpful content, but, you know, I think that Instagram can really affect parents in a negative way when they see these amazing meals and see how their kids are eating and they feel like, gosh, picky eating is my fault. Hmm. Yeah. And this is why I like to always show pictures of my messy house and my stories and <laughs> and be really honest about, you know, my kid did not eat a banana today because apparently he's picky about bananas now. <laughs> um, but the reality is, and I've dealt with this, like I do live with the picky eater day in and day out. And I live with the kid who's fallen off the growth chart. And I, you know, the kid who is like barely staying on the growth chart these days. And it's really hard. And there is a lot of guilt when you're standing in the pediatrician's office and they say, your child is not eating enough. You know, this may be failure to thrive, or we may need to introduce a drink supplement, or maybe they need to go to the hospital and have an NG tube or a, you know, a feeding tube or something like that. Um, These are all moments where we feel like complete failures. And we always have to, I've, I feel like it's really important for us to step back and say, what is the cause of this? The cause could be that your child is neurodivergent. This is something you didn't have any control over. Your child may, you know, uh, have really strong neophobia. Um, this has a strong genetic component. Was it your fault that your partner or you were 
had a lot of neophobia as a child? No. Was it your parents' fault? No. I mean, is it your child's fault? No. And it's not your fault either that your child is like this any more than you can control your genetics, you know? Um, there's so many factors, you know, okay, maybe your child has a sensory experience that is making it really difficult for them to eat. This is not your fault. These are things that happen. And I want to be really clear, just because you weaned your baby in a certain way or not in a certain way does not mean it's your fault that your child is a picky eater. This is something that we're seeing more and more is this idea that if you wean your child in a certain way, you can prevent picky eating. We That's not even an evidence-based statement, but it's becoming more and more prevalent on, on social media. And I like to remind parents, you may be able to reduce it, but the idea that all kids can have picky eating prevented based on the way that their parent, the method that their parents use to wean them, that's just not an evidence-based statement. Um, you may still experience guilt over the fact that your child is a picky eater. And I kind of, I was just answering a story about this the other day, like, welcome to the club. You know, you're joining millions of parents around the world who are worried and often feeling guilty about something related to their child, whether it's their eating or their development or their education. I mean, you name it, right? Yeah. So Jennifer, another myth that again we see, you know, online is these parents saying, "I pureed vegetables, you should do that." Can you debunk that myth that it will get your kid out of their picky eating ways? Yeah, you know, there are usually if you're hiding food into other food, your child is not getting any exposure to that whatsoever. It may be adding some nutrition to the food. And in some cases that might be okay. Um, But if you're a really picky eater and you're hiding food in food, that can really cause some major picky eating setbacks when they find that food. And I always say when, because picky eaters are very discerning (laughs) about what they put in your mouth, their mouth. And, um, you know, we've had Families were like, oh, I minced up the cauliflower so small and I added it with the cheese in the in the quesadilla and it was impossible to see. And then they didn't eat it and then they wouldn't eat the cauliflower and they wouldn't eat a quesadilla, you know, for the next year. That's the sort of thing you risk when you break trust with your picky eater. And, um, You know, it's one of those things a lot of parents struggle because they're like, oh, my kid isn't getting the vegetables. I know, but also your trust with them is so, so important. Now, sometimes things like smoothies can introduce, um, especially if a child is helping you make it, like, oh, they put the avocado in there, but then they couldn't taste it, but they didn't know it was in there. That is kind of like a first idea, like, oh, maybe I can eat this food. It's not really. Now, the putting it in, that was a food exposure. Eating the food isn't really a food exposure since they can't experience it in any way, but it is on the road. And that can sometimes be a, a useful step for some families. That's great. So talking about tricking your kid, I think I've also seen parents say, you know, I put my kid in front of the TV to eat and oh gosh, <laughs> just please debunk that myth. Yeah, that is really tricky too. And I, I always like to issue a disclaimer. Um, 
we've all we're all living in this pandemic world and you might be putting your child in front of the tv to eat and there is absolutely no judgment from me or any of my team members for doing this because we're all doing what we got to do to survive um that said if you are dealing with picky eating and you want to kind of take some steps to um move out of this phase it's really hard for your child to be to get those exposures if they're sitting in front of a TV. Like it's really, really tricky because they're watching TV um, and they can't really taste it as much and they can't really smell it as much and they can't really look at it as much. And so, plus they're not watching you eat it, which if you can eat it can be so impactful. It's one of the most impactful things you can do for your child in a positive way is to eat the food that you want them to eat. Because when they're watching you, they're like, oh, that's how you eat it. That's how, that's what it sounds like. That's what it looks like. That's what it smells like. They're getting so much sensory input from a shared meal or even from a meal that they're not sharing with you, but that they have in front of them. And what about the way that we talk about food? So I think that oftentimes we fall into this trap of saying, you know, eat your broccoli, it's good for your brain, or eat your carrots, it's good for your eyes. Can that kind of backfire? I So it can. It all depends on how you're presenting the information. When we're talking, when I'm talking to Better Bites families, I say, like, you can use information to pressure your child. You can also use information to inform your child. For example, um, I was just having this conversation with my six-year-old recently. I'm trying to remember what food we were talking about, but I said, oh, this food is so interesting because it does X, Y, Z in your body. I wasn't trying to force him to eat it. I wasn't trying to pressure him to eat it. I was presenting this just as a, a talking point in the kitchen. Like, oh, isn't that interesting? I was like, oh, that's so cool. And he asked me another question about that. Um, later, we had that at a meal. And he ate it. I didn't bring it up at the table and say, oh, you know, this is really good for your brain and therefore you should eat it. Right. <laughs> right. Sometimes we say things like that. And I'm sure I've said them too. Right. I've said everything that I tell people not to say at least one time. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, there's I could say, oh, hey, bud, like this carrot is really good for you and it will help your eyes. Should I put, um, how many of them should I put on your plate and how fast are you going to eat them? I mean, we can use all these kind of positive ways of speaking to our kids in a way that really puts on the pressure and picky eaters feel that they feel it a lot. Now, could we also have a conversation at the table? where, like, Oh, Hey, this is, this is carrots. We're having carrots. We're having broccoli. We're having uh, chicken nuggets. We're having whatever we're having at the table. And we're just kind of having a conversation um, about the food and things are pretty chill and it's not a, a high pressure moment and everybody's eating whatever they want. It's fine. We're like, Oh, Hey, cool. These carrots, they came from the farm. Um, you know, they have vitamin A, that helps your eyes. Isn't that interesting? We can talk about what foods do in our bodies and we can learn about our bodies and we can learn where our food comes from in a way that is really fun and helpful. And it kind of empowers kids to 
have that information. Like food isn't good or bad. Food does different things in our bodies. And as they get older, they can kind of learn to have a more in-depth understanding. But you can absolutely use this information to like beat your kid over the head with it and pressure them and try to get them to eat food. And that will definitely work against you. And so finally, I think, you know, it's the age old problem and it's what Dr. Dina Rose calls the dessert deal. And and that's bribing your kids to get them to eat whatever you want them to eat. So eat your broccoli and you'll have dessert. So is this really a good way to get your picky eater out of their ways? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I always remind parents and say, okay, if you're saying you have to eat the broccoli to get the ice cream, what your child is hearing is ice cream is better than broccoli. In fact, it must be a lot better than broccoli if I actually have to eat the broccoli to get it. And that's the opposite of what you want your child to think. Because that, yeah, maybe they'll eat the broccoli. Pressure works in the short term um, for a lot of kids, not all kids, but like pressure, pressure definitely works, but um, it's not always what you really want to have happen in the long run. Because then when you stop pressuring them, they're not going to eat the broccoli because they're like, oh, it's gross. I don't want to eat this. So should they get dessert even if they don't eat? If you're serving dessert, I like to completely, um, you know, make it disconnected, completely disconnected. You either have dessert or you don't have dessert. It is available to the whole family. And uh, this is true whether they ate XYZ or not at dinner. And parents always say, well, what if they don't? What if they just hold out? Well, yeah, there might be times when they hold out. But there's going to be so many more times when they don't hold out because they're hungry and the dinner is sitting right there in front of them. And ideally, you would have, you know, at least one thing on the table that they feel comfortable with most of the time. And you know what? I mean, if they're sitting there for 20 minutes and they're hungry, it's, you know, it's a hard, it's a, it's a long wait <laughs> to just wait for dessert. Right. Yeah. Well, Jennifer, this has been an amazing conversation. You are just filled with really realistic tips for parents. And I feel like I can breathe a sigh of relief here. So tell me where uh, listeners can go to learn more about you and your work. Sure. So Kids in Color, kidsincolor.com, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all the fun places, Pinterest. Um, That's where we are. Great, great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I love chatting with Jennifer Anderson. Be sure to check out her website and follow her on Instagram, which I've linked to in the show notes. If you're enjoying food issues, I'd love it if you could take 30 seconds and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode and I'll see you next week.